Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Hallelujah. Why don't you love the Lord for a moment right now? Hallelujah. God, we worship you in spirit. We've come to worship you in truth, Lord. We've come to magnify you in this house. Come on, just for a few more moments right now, prepare the atmosphere. Come on, prepare the atmosphere for rain to fall. Come on. Come on, it's time to bust up the ground for some good seed to fall on some good ground today. Hallelujah, Lord, have your way in this place this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what we felt here today. And everybody said in Jesus' name. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen, amen. I've had a, I don't know about your weekend, but I've had a full, exciting weekend. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm so excited to be able to minister here this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Boyd, for you and your family allowing me to stand behind this pulpit. It's a great honor. I consider it always an honor to be able to stand behind another shepherd's pulpit momentarily to be in unity with the man of God at feeding of the sheep and leading and guiding and in, in one mind and one accord with the body of Christ. Everybody say amen. amen. <clears throat> it, is a, uh, it is the truth that we have had some amazing church over there in Chiefland. Amen. If you've been there this past Friday and Saturday night, it wasn't because of the preacher that was there. I can tell you, there was an atmosphere before I ever showed up. I can promise you that. There's expectancy. When you start coming to church expecting God to work a miracle, when you come to church expecting God to work a miracle, the preacher can get up and preach the worst sermon in the world. Somebody can step on your brand new church shoes. Somebody can mess up your honey bun and get you all upset, and you're still going to get a touch of God. Come on, somebody. Because there's a spirit of expectancy, so I'm excited to see what God's going to do tonight. But like Pastor Boyd said, right now is the appointed time. Praise God. We're believing God's working a miracle here. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to read through from verses 10 to 17, Luke 13. Again, I wish my wife were here. She's, she sends her regrets of not being able to be here. She really loves this church, loves, loves the families here, loves Brother and Sister Boyd greatly, and yes, I do miss Parker. Praise the Lord. I miss that little man. She's sending me. They had the best day yesterday. You know, my wife's been a little tight on the budget, and I know she's going to want to, she's going to hear about this. She's been a little tight on the budget lately. I had to recently get another vehicle because my, my, 20-some-odd-year-old truck with 300,000 miles finally blew up on me, so I had to get a vehicle. Well, she warned me when it was time to get this car that she was going to have to tighten the reins a little bit on me eating out and all this stopping at gas stations and getting little Debbie cakes and stuff like that, right? And so I leave town Friday, and I'm heading up here, and she's sending me pictures. Her and Parker gets out of school. She picks him up from school. They swing over to the Dairy Queen and grab a blizzard. They done grabbed a blizzard. They go on over there. She picks up her mom. They get in the car. They go to a little seafood restaurant over there getting catfish and shrimp. And I'm, I'm trying not to get upset about this. She's sending pictures, and I'm like, mm, okay, I'm writing it down. I'm like, Mary, I'm hiding all this in my heart, right? 
And so Saturday morning, she texts me yesterday morning. I'm sitting over there, and she starts sending me pictures. Well, we're getting dressed, going over here, and we're going to town. I'm going to run by Dillard's. I know you understand the compassion about Dillard's. Hallelujah. And so she goes over there and takes him to the bookstore. They're buying books. They're reading it. Bone fish. They're over there living it up. And I said, "Mm mm-hmm, I'm writing it down. When I get back, I'm eating good when I get back. (laughs) Sit there and live it up once I leave town, praise God. But no, they're sending big pictures of just having a great time. It's a, he, he calls it his mom and mom and son date. He loves to have those little date times with mama. So I, I'm glad he's doing that. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rack up the bill a little bit when I get back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 13. So pray for me when I leave. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And the Bible says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. That word infirmity, there is a weakness or lack of strength that she had. And she had it for 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. And he said to her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now I could stop there and we could shout and run the aisles because a miracle took place. But I want to go a little further in this because not everybody's excited about your miracle. You got to be ready for that. Not everybody cares that you get a blessing from God. You better be prepared for it. And the Bible says, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, believe that or not, not quite as happy as I'm sure she was, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, but they didn't realize they wasn't just talking to an average man. There are six days in which man ought to work, and in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered him and said, <laughs> you, you think preachers hurt your feelings these days. Come on. You think preachers are harsh these days because we tell you like it is. Jesus himself cuts right to the chase and says, look here, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his oxen and his donkey from the stall and you lead him away to be watered? And ought not this woman, listen to how he describes her, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, he begins to go into the accolades, being the daughter of Abraham, who Satan have bound low 18 years, ought not she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You care more about your livestock than this young lady right now that suffered for 18 years. Verse 7 says, And when he had said these things, All his adversaries obviously were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. This morning, I'm simply speaking to somebody in this place that's forgotten this. You knew it. There was a time in your past. I don't know how long it's been since you received the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you're here hungry and this is your first couple of services being here. And this old Georgia boy either going to come in here and drop the watermelon or deliver a word. And you're just standing on that. Either way, whatever brought you here, God wants to remind you, you were created to be liberated. You were created to be liberated. I want you to lift your hands right now unto the Lord and pray. Release your faith all over this house right now and ask God to speak to your heart. Hallelujah. Ask God's word to fall on some good ground. God.
by the authority of the name of Jesus. God, I'm asking, Lord, that your word to go forth with power and with anointing and with the miracle signs and wonders. Lord, we're believing, God, that you're going to bring forth the healing in this house, God, that there will be a deliverance of liberation in this place, God. I'm asking, Lord, that you would move on every heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Clap your hands to the Lord and give God some praise. Come on, clap your hands to him and love him right now. Thank him for what he's about to speak to your spirit, speak into your life, speak into your future. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for what we felt here today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Whether you know it or not, every human being born on this planet has the natural God-given desire to progress. Now, you may be thinking of someone right now, or Brother Reese, you don't know my husband. <laughs> you don't know who I'm married to. They don't want to progress out of nothing. They're stuck where they are. They've been there for the past 30, 40 years. But every human being born on this planet has a natural God-given desire inside of them, placed by God, programmed by God himself, to progress from where they are to somewhere else. Now, they might not act on it. But it was given of God. If you've been a parent for five seconds, and I have three boys and still have a nine-year-old at home, my oldest are grown and out of the house. And, and uh, uh, if you've been a parent for five seconds, you know this to be absolutely true. You can bring a baby home, and they're sitting in that crib. And yes, for, for a little while, they may be laying there snug in one little spot, just kind of groaning and crying out to be fed and crying out to be nurtured. But it won't be long before you go in there, and they've begun to move. And, and we as parents go in there, and my wife taught me a, such a smooth technique on how to wrap that child up so much like a mummy. My goodness, that child couldn't move if they wanted to. She'd wrap that kid so tight, hands down there. And I'm thinking, man, nothing's going to happen with this kid. Sleeps there for for a while and before you know it after a few months I go in there to wake him up and that one little hand starts coming up out of the top mamas know what I'm talking about and we have to get down there and snug it up a little bit tighter put some bungee cords on that thing you know what I mean and get him where he's kind of warm and wrapped up we want him to be comfortable and then that other hand kind of creeps up there pastor before you know it he's done got one arm at the side of it he's reaching over to the rail before you know it that thing don't hold nothing whatsoever and he's just loose running around doing whatever he wants to do. This was the child that's supposed to sit there and be still. But something inside of this child decided, I don't like staying where I am. I, I feel comfortable, I feel good, but, but I just want to kind of move a little bit. Before you know it, you got your child on the floor, laying on their back, looking up at the little playthings, dangling over their head, and they're swatting at them. And then you turn your back to go to the kitchen for a glass of tea to come back and see the child's done rolled over. Oh, you lose your mind. Mama done got all excited. Now the baby's done rolled over and got that little head going on. Weighs about 50 pounds. Can't hold it up. Sitting there watching this little one sitting there just head going. And before you know it, they're pulling themselves off of the mat that you've placed with all the toys. And won't be long. That baby's going to be over there on the side of that coffee table reaching up a little higher now trying to elevate themselves. They're progressing. They're wanting to get from where they are to somewhere else. It's placed inside of them. Mama didn't have to push them to do that. Just lay a child there and watch them. They're going to start moving. Before you know it, they're standing on the side of the coffee table, and they're okay just to stand there. And now they see something on the other side of the room, and they decide they're going to let go. And really, that's when everybody loses their minds. Those first couple of steps, we get all excited. Oh, he's walking. 
And before you know it, they're out there walking across the room. And before you know it, they're running across the room. Before you know it, they've cracked their head on the side of the coffee table. And now they've found a way to shimmy up the, micro, uh, the refrigerator to get to the cookies that you've hid in the top cabinet. Come on, am I just talking about my kids? All right, there we go. Come on, amen corner in the back. Oh, you know what? They just found a way to get to where all the goodies are hid at because they found something they want. There's a desire to move from point A to point B. Lo and behold, they begin to get them out there in the yard and now you've got them on a bicycle and you're holding the back of the seat. You're trying to help them down the road and then they say, Daddy, let me go. I can do this on my own. This is embarrassing. Let go of the seat and you finally let go and they fall and crash, skin their knee. Start crying, you go and say, let's try this again because I want you to progress. I want you to go from where you are. Eventually, they're on their own. And, and then before you know it, it all comes down to the dreaded moment. Daddy, can I have your keys? I'll go to the grocery store for you for that gallon of milk. And that's when mom and dad really sighs and says, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The story, there was a story when I was young. I was, I was probably, I can't remember how old I was. And forgive me if I've told this story. I don't think I have. But I, I was probably around the age of maybe 12, 13. I'm not really sure. Had a friend in my, my neighborhood. His name was Paul. And we played and hung out all the time. And uh, I remember one day he called, we had a little clubhouse out in the woods. We'd go out there and get in trouble and do all kind of stuff and get out there and just, we, we brought all our weapons. We act like we're out there military in the woods and we're killing things and we act like we're just doing all kind of stuff. But I remember one day I walked in there and him and his older brother were inside of this, this clubhouse and there was a chest there, like an old antique looking chest, about that tall, about that wide, about that long. And he said, look at what we found. And I was like, man, that's amazing. That thing looks like a treasure chest. I thought it was so cool. And then all of a sudden he lifts it up. He said, man, this thing has room for somebody to get inside of it. Watch this. And Paul steps up. You know Paul? Somebody met Paul before? And he steps over inside of the box and he leans down and squats and lays down. And his, his older brother shuts the lid on top of him. And he's inside of that box just laughing. Man, there's so much room in here I can move around. And I'm going, man, that's awesome. And old Paul opens up that lid and says, Coley, you want to get in here? <laughs> Why not? Paul got in there, right? So I climbed over inside of that little thing, and I leaned down, and that door latched. And I was in there, man, this is cool. This is awesome. And I wanted to get out, and I leaned up on that lid, and that thing didn't move. I thought, oh, no, the door got slammed shut, and now they can't get it open. Then all of a sudden, I heard them giggling on the outside of the chest. They're out there laughing. I really got scared then. How long are these jokers going to leave me inside of this box? And I'm sitting in there screaming. I've got my back trying to push it. And finally they felt sorry for me or either they were scared I was going to tell mom and dad or whatever. And they unlatched it. I came out of that box with a newfound appreciation for freedom that I ain't never had in my life. That's when I realized I was claustrophobic. See, I didn't know I was until, you know, it ain't when you're on an elevator. It's something that happened when you were a child. And I got locked in that little box and I didn't like, it was just a small moment in time that caused me to appreciate something that I had taken for granted. I'm here to tell somebody that God has ordained your freedom. That you were actually created to be liberated. There are certain things that you have allowed yourself possibly to be bound up with that is not God's will. It's not something you ask for, but something in your past 
has come along and the enemy has used this as his maneuver to lock you down in a chest and keep you there. I don't mind you going to church. Just stay in your box. I don't mind if you come to church. You can even get on the front altar and you can even do a little huckabuck and dance and run. But you better not pray. You better not start fasting. You better not start seeking the face of God. You can go through the Pentecostal motions all you want. But get back in your box when you're done. Ordained freedom. Created to be liberated Many today in this world are in a condition of infirmity as this young lady. The word of God is full of people who were once bound by something. And I'm so glad that when God allowed the word of the Lord to be written, that he allowed there to be the, start, the sad stories of some of these people. It kind of, kind of encourages you a little bit. As soon as you start thinking, man, nobody understands me, why don't you crack open your Bible and begin to read? The children of Israel were bound by the grips of Pharaoh in the first few chapters of Exodus. But by chapter 15, the children of Israel began to sing a song of liberation. Exodus, and after they crossed the Red Sea and were on dry ground, they began to sing, and it starts out something like this in Exodus 15 and 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. They wasn't singing it over in bondage, but as soon as they got out free, as soon as they crossed over, I will sing unto the Lord, for he have triumphed gloriously. I don't know what key they were in, sis, but they were probably, they triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And then the organ player in the back behind Moses starts tapping on that organ and the drummer starts banging around. And the Lord is my strength and the Lord is my song. And he has become my salvation and he is my God and I will prepare. See, he had some soul in him when he was singing that. And I will prepare him a habitation. And he even said ha while he was singing. My father's God and I will exalt him. And everybody said sing it brother Moses sing it. They were excited. It was a time that we as, it is the time that we as the children of God begin to sing our own songs of liberation and not singing and sitting around singing the blues in our home about how the devil's been beating up on our family, beating up on our children, beating up on our marriage and oh, woe is me and Brother Reese, you don't know what I've been through. We need to stop singing those songs and those choir songs about what the enemy has done. And get back to singing about what God have already done for you. We ain't always got to wait until we get through the water on both sides as they're going through on dry ground. I imagine it was scary. Water on either side. Sitting there built up and fish just kind of going through the side of the water. And they're getting there going through it. And they wait till they get to the other side and start singing a song of liberation. I want to encourage you. You're probably in the midst of your sea right now. God has given you some dry ground, but yet you're still singing about the bondage. We were once in Egypt, and we were bound, and even there we had graves. Why didn't this Moses just leave us there? We could have died in peace as a slave. Because they still had that song in their heart when they got out to the desert. It's time that we began to sing again. That song of liberation is the time to be loosed, set free, and to throw off ropes and chains that have prevented us from moving into the abundant life that Jesus had talked about in John 10 and 10. And I mentioned this already this weekend. The thief cometh not but for to steal, 
kill and destroy your enemy who you think cares about your children. The enemy who you think cares about what you're doing is only there to steal, kill, and everything the man of God has poured into you. But Jesus said, I've come. I love this. I love this. I've come, though, that you might have life. And like I said, he could have put an exclamation point on that and been done with it, and we'd run the aisles as Pentecostal. God gave us life, but he stopped. He said, wait, there's more. I didn't come just to give you life. I came for you to live abundantly while you're in life. For you not just to be an average Christian that just goes through the motions, but I'm not come just to give you life, but I came to give you life more abundantly. I don't want you just alive. I want you to live. Come on, somebody. God's been good to you, and you've been going through the motions just thankful to keep your head above the water. But God said, I just don't want you breathing. I want you living. Uh, Hallelujah. 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 My brethren in the back, glory to Jesus. This morning, I want to read from Luke 13 about the women, about the woman with the spirit of infirmity. Let's look at the last part of the verse 11 at the text of this young lady in Luke 13. It says, as she had had a spirit of infirmity or a weakness was upon her for 18 years. That's a long time for a spirit to be comfortable. Mm, I understand there's moments where the enemy can come in and kind of be an illusion to where you don't really realize the spirit is invaded yet and kind of kind of maneuvers himself through relationships and the lives of people but to just sit there and be comfortable for 18 years she had this infirmity that's a long time to be bound up that's a long time to be bowed over and bent over in pain and agony and torment and the bible says and in no wise could she lift herself up anymore she no longer even had the ability to fake it <laughs> some of us here may feel guilt today I don't know some of here may feel helpless some of us are burdened and heavy laden some of you may be tired and everything you know you do you've already tried it and everything has failed we sing those songs when you've tried everything and everything has failed try Jesus I love that when you tried everything and everything has failed, tried Jesus. And I've sung it. I've got excited. Then one day I was sitting there singing it, Pastor. And I'm not criticizing this song. It might be the favorite song of the church. Keep singing it. Keep going. Because it's true. We try everything. But that was the thing. It dawned on me one day. When you try, why do I keep? I know God now. Why am I still trying everything? Why am I still trying to figure out what will soothe my pain? Why am I still trying to get something to mask all the hurt that I've been dealing with? Why am I trying to cover up all of the hurt that the enemy has brought? Why don't I just go ahead before I try everything and find out that it all fails? I'm going to try Jesus. That's the way it ought to be. We go through the sleepless nights. We're exhausted. We've exhausted all of our resources. Can't seem to find peace. 
We can't get rid of the shame. The past few years have brought nothing but anxiety and worry and frustration in our hearts and minds. No matter how hard we try to get loose from the bindings, the more we pull, the tighter the ropes get. Houdini could tell you right now if he was still alive, one of the greatest escape artists the world has ever seen would tell you as soon as they put the ropes on his wrist, the last thing he needed to do was pull against them. Because he realized that as soon as I start pulling against them before I try to figure out how to loose that knot, I'm going to make it worse than it was. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? You're in a bad situation. You're at home trying to figure it out before you even take it to the Lord. Before you even decide to pray about it. I've got, I've got the resources. I've got a good bank account. I've got a good church. I've got to thrive. Come on now. I know I'm meddling. We try to figure it all out. Try to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps, if you will. Not being able to accomplish that makes us feel even worse. But Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, Come unto me. All ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This lady could no longer lift herself up. She spent day after day, year after year in misery, seeming to get worse and worse, more tired and more tired, more lonely and more lonely, hopeless. As times went on, the bindings upon her just seemed to grow deeper and deeper. Probably happened a little bit at a time. The first few months, she kind of felt a little sting somewhere, didn't know where the pain was, and then, ah, I can deal with that. Take two Tylenol, call doctor in the morning. Hallelujah. You know, and then before you know it, a year went by, and then you're like most men. You over here, if it's hurting here, you just make sure it's hurting over here. If it is, you're all right. We've all done it. Ain't no man going to say amen because the wife's going to tell you to go get a physical this week. But I understand. You're sitting there, oh, my arm's killing me. Okay, that one hurts too. I'm good. I'm going to live. And it probably started off as something very simple at first and something that she could put off and, and brush off and say, well, this must be normal. This must be something I'm supposed to live with. May have just became as a mild pain, but the spirit somewhere got comfortable. Somewhere that spirit got very comfortable. She began to welcome it, if you will. She never thought she would end up like this. This surely wouldn't happen to me. Uh, surely the, the spirits wouldn't be comfortable in my life. Do they know who I am? Like the lady with the issue of blood, she had sought help from doctors and from people to no avail. But somewhere along the way, kind of like I preached last night, they, she got desperation inside of her spirit. There was something inside of her that said, I've got to push through this crowd, Brother Bird. I've got to push. I've got to get him. I'm not worried about offending anybody anymore. I'm not worried about hurting anybody's feelings. I'm not going to do it intentionally. But if you get between me and Jesus... But somewhere she opened the door to a spirit and that spirit made itself a home. I truly believe that sometimes we stay bound by the enemy. Not because he's swift and not because he's smooth and not because we just dropped the ball one little simple time. But I believe the enemy gets a foothold in our life is because we allowed him to get too comfortable. He is way too comfortable. In our homes, he gets way too comfortable in the minds of our children. Brother Bird, I, mm, 
I appreciate what you said this morning. And if you wasn't here for Sunday school, my goodness, I, I just go ahead and get on to you, Pastor. And you, and you know, I'm sure he wanted you to be here too, but you might have had reasons. But if you missed, I can tell you right now, you missed a good lesson. Brother Bird was sitting there challenging us and letting us know how many people matter in this world. And no matter what your background is or no matter what you've gone through, everybody's soul matters. And began to talk about how this world is constantly reaching out to our young generation, trying to strip them from us, trying to steal our children, trying to take their lives before they even have the ability to be born on this planet. And as you were speaking, I already shared it with Pastor and Brother Bird. I said, while you were speaking, I began to think, you know, every time God was about to bring a great deliverance on this earth, when God was about to bring something that would deliver his people, the enemy always set out to go after the children. Moses was born and knowing Moses was going to bring the law, then all of a sudden Pharaoh looks out the window that didn't know Joseph, looks out over the land and begins to see there's more than them. So he sets out to kill all the children. They have to hide Moses. Here's Jesus being born and they all of a sudden hear there's a king being born. There's another king. Herod sets out to kill all the children, boys, to eliminate the king, the king to be born as they said. And that lets me know we're living in the last days right now because it just seems like this world's main goal and focus is to get rid of children. So I know we're on the edge of something about to happen. I can understand now of how at any moment, any given time that that trumpet is going to sound. You don't even have to be engrossed in revelations and prophecy to understand that the Lord is about to step out on a cloud. Children matter. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.27. Neither, neither give place to the devil. No place. Nowhere to sit. That no place means give no opportunity. To give no advantage. To not allow them to be comfortable. Take away the ottoman. Take away the coffee table. Take away his favorite coffee cup in your home. Take away that place that your children have access to that allows that enemy to talk to them late at night and allows that enemy to come into their world at school. And You can't control every moment in a child's life, but you can be the dominant influence in their life. I'm trailing off for a minute, I know, but I can tell you, I'm very, when you got three boys and the world does nothing but tries to rip them out of your hands, you got to be strategic when raising children in this generation. You can't allow every single little voice that comes along and every wind that blows speak to you. You better, they will speak, they will talk, they will cause confusion, but as long as your kids know to go back to mom and dad. Sitting there, I shared that this weekend too as well, I'll share it here. And I said, you know, my, my son was at school and he began to hear the teachings of evolution at school. And somewhere, maybe it was a book or the teacher, I don't know how engrossed they got. I don't think it was only like the first or second grade. I'm not really sure. And he was in class, uh, probably second grade. And somewhere it was brought up that we all came from monkeys. And so he came home. Daddy, I heard today that, you know, all creation came from monkeys. I said, but what do you think about that? See, I don't mind challenging my child. So, son, what do you, what do you say about that? Well, I know God created the heavens and the earth, and I know he created mankind. That's good. That's right. And this is coming from my child. Now, he was probably, I can't remember, seven, seven maybe. And this came from him, and he was sitting there. He said, I said, but tell me more. What do you think on this for a moment, son? He said, my question, Dad, is this, and I hadn't told him none of this. My question, he said, is this. If we came from monkeys, how come people aren't still turning into monkeys today? How come monkeys aren't still rising up and growing up and turning into people? 
Man, it brought a tear to my eye, Pastor. I just wrapped my arms around him. Boy, I tell you what, I appreciate that. Because it causes you need your children to think. Need them to understand that every decision you make, you better filter it through the Word of God. You better filter it through a prayer life. You better filter it through. I'm reaching for a mom or daddy somewhere. I don't know who you are, but you better be filtering everything through the Word of God. Because before you know it, that child will be bound up in something and it's too long and too late. That tree has grown up too high. Them roots have grown too far. It's time for us to start blocking the way of the enemy to our children, to our marriages, to our lives, to our prayer life. Sometimes we seek someone who could just understand. But the truth is, we never truly find someone that understands it all for us. They nod their head in sympathy. They ask you in the foyer, how are you doing this week? And you go through the motions, I'm doing fine. Doing fine. You know you're broken. You know you're hurt. But truly, the only one who really knows what you're dealing with is Jesus himself. Don't get me wrong, people mean well and may understand to a certain degree, but only one can fix and loose you from the bonds that the enemy has created in your mind. Bible says, Jeremiah 1 and 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Don't tell me that child in that womb don't matter. (laughs) Oh, before you even came forth. You were precious. Before you even came out, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee as a prophet unto the nations. He was speaking to one, but I guarantee if he knew him, he knew them all. This woman with the infirmity was not created for this bound state she found herself in. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. Like you and I, we have been ordained to freedom. Created to be liberated, if you will. The children of Israel were not created to be slaves to Pharaoh, but to serve God. Genesis 50 and 24 said, And Joseph said to the brethren, I die. Listen to this very carefully. If you wonder how it all began and how come they even got themselves in a, in, a, in a state of bondage to start off with, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm fixing to tell you. Jo- Joseph said unto the brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. When I'm gone, God's going to visit you. He is going to bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was letting them know right there, God did not intend on you to get comfortable. When I brought you in here, I told my daddy, I said, now you make sure you tell them your occupation. And as soon as they realize what you do for a living, they're going to ostracize you. And they're going to let you live on the borders, but they're not going to let you come beyond the perimeter. Well, I don't want to be. I don't like being out there separate from everybody else. The Bible says you're a peculiar people for a reason. There needs to be a border between you and the world. Come on, I'm talking to somebody right now. If there's no border and you've blended in already, you crossed the line into Egypt you ought not be in. Say, Daddy, just tell them your occupation. And they're going to look at you and say, oh, you deal with that and those cattle and everything. And so I'm going to sit there. I don't want you to come near. We'll let you live right on the outskirts, but we don't want you meddling with our people. And Joseph said, that's what I want to happen. He was letting them know you're not intended on staying here. And if I can keep you on the outskirts of Egypt, when it's time for God to deliver you, you won't have an attachment to this world. You'll be ready to go. Mm. Somewhere along the way, they got comfortable in Egypt. They hung around after Joseph's death. They multiplied when they were supposed to go. They strengthened in an area they were supposed to leave. They flourished 
You would even think that he looks that, that he looks of it that they were being blessed while they were living in the land, feeding off of Egypt, living in a good land close, instead of wandering in the desert. Why? Why should we leave? I know what Joseph said. God's going to deliver us. But man, we got access to McDonald's over here on this side of town. We, have you seen that Egypt just put up a new Walmart? Why in the world would we go out? Now, I know if they'd have went on to the wilderness, they'd have found the Dollar General because them jokers are everywhere. But they wanted a Walmart. That's what I was waiting on, that balloon up there. That's what it was. That was, a, that was Dollar General with that balloon yesterday flying around trying to find a new spot to put a Dollar General at. That's what that was, you know. I'm just being. But they got too comfortable in the world that they were living in. They were brought to Egypt because of a famine. But now the famine has passed. Now there's food to go. Now rain has fallen. Now they can grow some stuff. But why grow? When I can sit right here and just feast off all the greatness, I can come to church and hear the word of God, this amazing church, amazing leadership, amazing friendships. Why do I have to go outside of this and, and fraternize with this world and tell them about what I've got to offer? I'm going to keep all this to myself. Mm. They got comfortable with Egypt. God had ordained their freedom through Joseph, but now they're slaves to their own content. I remember one time that I had gotten before, like y'all know my testimony, I've been here a couple of times, that I wasn't raised in this. this is, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't come to God until I was 20 years old. But before I had come to God, obviously I was wrapped up in all kind of drugs, alcoholism and everything. I won't drag you through all that. But I wasn't, didn't have any kind of background of religious beliefs in anything, which turned out to be a major blessing, Pastor. I wasn't rooted in nothing. And I'm thankful for that. They didn't have to de-doctrinize me to get the truth inside of me. Sometimes you just got to pull out the weeds to get a good flower to grow, right? There was nothing there. I was just a empty vessel. <laughs> so, so I remember one time, and my wife would still say I'm an empty vessel. <laughs> but anyway, so I remember there was a time where I, I got locked up. I was, doing, I was doing some things I shouldn't be doing, and, and I wound up shoplifting over at a Walmart. Well, I don't even know what it is about Walmart today. I'm a, but I was shoplifting at a Walmart and got myself all locked up. The cameras were watching me, thought I was being smooth, walked outside and propped up against the wall, fired up a little cigarette, going to be smooth. The guy walked out behind me. He was waiting on me to walk out the door. He walked out behind me, grabbed me by the arm, and you thought we were walking down the aisle. And he said, come on back in here, boy, and walked me right onto the security room camera and showed me the video, didn't you? Well, I don't know if that's me or not. I can't see his face. Might be somebody else in here wearing the same clothes I'm wearing, you know. And they caught me, and the police car pulls up. My dad had brought me to the Walmart. I was with him. Most embarrassing moment of his life. Felt horrible. And they threw me into jail. And they threw me in there and sat in there. My dad didn't have enough to get me out. He didn't have nothing to post no bond. He had to work and pull strings to a family member for some land bond and all kind of stuff. And, and I'm sitting there inside this jail cell trying to be all big and bad and cool about it. Yeah, I got locked up. I ain't worried about it. I'm putting this on my resume. Come on, somebody. I'm sitting in there all cool and collective. I had one cigarette left and didn't have no lighter. I called out to the jailer, hey, you got a light. I'm bad, right? Sitting on the cot, ain't even had breakfast yet. They didn't have a cracker barrel inside that thing, Pastor. I don't know what the deal was. So I'm sitting there, and they said, I gotta have a light. And I said, Yeah, that woman come over there and lit up my little ciggy. And I'm sitting there just puffing away, all bad and proud. I didn't care. Hours went by, time went by. I felt like I was in that chest again, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm sitting there in jail for a while. And all of a sudden, while I'm sitting there, I ain't heard from nobody. Daddy ain't even come by to see me. I didn't have a cup to rattle on the rails. I didn't have nothing. 
They didn't even serve food to me. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, somebody come around the corner, Mr. Reese. I said, yeah. I wasn't quite as cocky and arrogant at this point. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Reese, you've got a family member that posted land bond. That's all that come out of their mouth, land bond. I didn't even get to say bond to get you out. They said, bah, I came out of that cot and I was running to the rail like this, waiting on them to open that door to get out because I was excited to get out of there because I realized I might have been cocky and arrogant in bondage, but I realized I wasn't designed to be inside of a jail cell and to live in that kind of world. I could have sat there and said, really? He come to bail me out already? They ain't even served lunch yet. I hadn't even got comfortable. I got me a quilt. I got a nice feather pillow. I'm all a... No, uh-uh. I'm not going to sit there and get comfortable in that kind of an atmosphere. Luke 3, 13 and 16. And, salt not this, and ought not this woman, he said, be a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound 18 years? Ought not she be loosed from the bond on the Sabbath day? They cared not that she had been set free. Cared not about the healing. They just didn't like the timing of it. We don't mind you doing your own thing, but don't do it on our agenda. Don't sit there and interfere with what I'm doing. Don't sit there and bind us up. You do your thing on your side of the river, but don't sit over there and interfere with our timing. And then Jesus says, every one of you on the Sabbath will loose your donkey, loose your oxen, take them to be watered, and you're sitting here worrying about whether this woman gets loosed to be set free from her infirmity. You ain't nothing but a hypocrite. I'm here to encourage somebody that you were created to be liberated. I'm going to give you some areas that God revealed to this woman in order to liberate her and revealed to this crowd. He said, this woman, right off the bat, this woman that you've got a problem with, being a daughter of Abraham, right off the bat, accolades. You're worried about whether she was healed? Let me tell you who she is. She is a daughter of Abraham. This lady was entitled to everything that God had promised Abraham. You're sitting here saying she don't deserve it in your timing, but she has an inheritance that Abraham got, and because Abraham got it, it's free access to her. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 3 and 29, in case you're feeling like this ain't for you, the Bible says, and if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and hearers according to that promise. You're here right now, Brother Reese. You just don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how long I've been bound up. You don't know what all sins I've committed. I don't believe I can really be delivered. I'm here to tell you right now. Abraham's seed. Humanity grows. God's children began to prosper. You were filled with the Holy Ghost five years ago. Filled with the Holy Ghost ten years ago. Repented of your sins. You can remember the moment you did it. But somewhere along the way you began to digress. Somewhere it used to be a shout and a dance. It used to be an excited, you burn a sweat. You sit there and your muscles in your stomach was hurting because you danced so long and now it's turned into a momentary clap, a pat, if they sing my song. If they sing, if the right preacher that I like gets up there. I know I'm meddling, pray for me, but if the one I like, if the person that I want to shake my hand shakes my hand, I might give a shout. If that preacher would have preached five more minutes, I was about to run the aisle. Not realizing the inheritance 
that you have, what you've got access to. Brother Reese, you don't know where I've been. It don't matter where you've been. And such were some of you. You understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> We've all came down from a dark road. Don't get all high and mighty because you've been delivered a long time. At any moment, the enemy gets comfortable in your spirit. Before you know it, that old man will be resurrected. Before you know it, you got those old spirits starting to torment you. I've been in this 30 years. I've been in this so many. How come I'm battling so much? Because somewhere along the way, you got comfortable. Young people, listen to me right now. Don't get comfortable just because mom and daddy is in the altar praying. Don't get comfortable just because you see an evangelist preaching and you see the pastor preaching and you see that the Sunday school teachers are studying and giving good lessons. Don't get comfortable just because everybody else is doing it because such a time will come where it's going to be up to you to give your sacrifice. The Bible says Cain and Abel in the process of time had come in Genesis it said that Cain and Abel came to give their sacrifice. I don't know what that process of time was. I don't know the age. We're not sure how old they were. But in God's eyes, a time came that now he said, I'm going to stop looking at mom and daddy. I'm going to start looking at Cain and Abel. They know what to give. They know the sacrifice of blood they've got to give. I've already laid it out for them through their mom and daddy's sin. They know what kind of sacrifice has got to be given. Now I'm going to sit back and let a process of time go by. And I'm going to see what them kids give. Somewhere along the way, our young people, our children are going to have to give. Well, they, they don't really know everything about it. don't matter if they don't know everything about everything. You don't know everything about everything. I just hurt your feelings on that too. You don't know everything about everything. I didn't know nothing about getting the Holy Ghost when I came. I knew nothing about repentance. I knew nothing about Jesus' name, baptism. I didn't know the, the understanding of having your sins washed away and God putting his spirit inside of me and my father, who is God in creation, son in redemption, Holy Ghost in regeneration. I couldn't quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. I didn't know any of this. But I did know that I wasn't worthy of being in that church service that day. And I stood right there. With my head hanging down and someone said, can I pray for you? Yeah. And he lays his hands on me and says, just repent. Ask God to forgive you. He didn't give me a Bible study, Pastor. He didn't say, sit down for a second. Let me bust open a search for truth too. And I'm all about Bible studies. But some moments you don't have that time. When you got a drug addict like me standing there, you ain't got time to say, sit down. Let me walk you through this right quick. And he said, just repent. Somewhere I understood what repentance was. And I began to cry. Tears began to fall. He said, now stop crying. You ain't got nothing to cry about. You believe God forgave you? Yes, I do. Well, then stop crying. What are you crying for? Wipe my eyes. And that made sense to me. I lifted up my hands knowing what I'd been doing, but I also believe God forgave me. So now I felt like I could lift my hands. God loved me enough to forgive me. Maybe God loves me enough to put something inside of me. Lifting my hands, began to say, I love you, God. Thank you for your good because it only comes when you're praising God. Holy Ghost will fall on you while you're praising God. While you're in action of using your voice to give God some praise, the Holy Ghost will fall on you. Take that language, convert it to a heavenly language, and you'll begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. And I began to speak in tongues right there. There's something that happens when you decide to not be comfortable where you've always been. And you begin to tap into the inheritance that God had for you. If God had an inheritance for a drug addict, I can tell you right now, God's got an inheritance for you. 
He also said, whom Satan had bound. He went ahead and let them all know right quick, you're sitting here criticizing this woman. Let me tell you, Satan's got her bound like he's got some of (laughs) y'all. Satan desires us to be bound as long as we're bound, just like the lady with the infirmity. We can't be affected in life or in our witness. Satan really does not care what kind of ropes he uses to bind you. He may use vices, our jobs. He may use money, other people to keep us under evil oppression. But this morning, it does not matter the rope. It does not matter the technique. It does not matter what you've been through that got you bound up. It is God's will for you to be loose today. It is God's will. You were created to be liberated. You were ordained for freedom. Clap your hands to the Lord right now if you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to leave the same way you came today. If you've been bound up with sickness, God can heal you. If you've been bound up with addiction, God can loose you. If you've been bound up in sin, God can forgive you. Come on, lift your hands one more time. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah. God's a healer. God's a healer. God's a healer. God's a way maker. He's looking to liberate somebody. He's looking to loose somebody. He's looking to set somebody free. Clap your hands one more time. Come on, come on, come on. Yes. Holy Jesus. You can be seated if you want to. Don't get comfortable. We're right here on the edge. Ready to be a little hope. But Jesus revealed right quick that no long, no matter what bound you, no matter what inheritance that you had that you forfeited, that you gave up willingly, no matter what enemy has bound you, no matter what the enemy's lo- uh, using to bind you, he let them know right quick, I can set you free. Verse 12 says, and when Jesus saw her, he called unto her and said, woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. Set free. The Bible tells us in John 8, 36. And the Son therefore shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. Jesus is the only one in this room. It ain't going to be the person beside you on the pew. It ain't going to be how involved you are in church and you need to be involved. It ain't going to be how many dance huckabucks you do and you need to shout and dance in the presence of God. I can testify to that. But it ain't that alone. It ain't your energy that gets the blessings of God. It's your faith. And Jesus is the only one here that feeds off of faith. He feeds off of faith. He feeds off of faith. Because he inhabits the praises. And it always takes faith to praise a God you've never shook hands with. It takes faith to shout praise to a God you've never seen. You felt him. You know what redemption feels like but you've never hugged his neck you've never grabbed a hold to his hem of his garment but you stand in an altar and you praise God I love you so much it's God that has been there that has done that it's a God that sits there and has gone through what needed to go through to reach to you this morning the price has been paid that everything has been laid out for you reminds me Of a story of a man that fell into a deep hole one day. Real deep hole. Couldn't find his way out of this hole. Which some of us here may be in this situation. Found himself down into a hole that had been dug. Not knowing how long it had been there. 
And a doctor just happened to be passing by, and he looked over into the hole. And the man shouted up, can you help me? I'm here, I'm down, I can't get out, can you help me? Doctor reaches into his pocket and pulls out his prescription pad and writes out a prescription. Fills out the prescription and drops it over into the, into the hole. And then he leaves. Later, a priest walked by. The man shouted, hey, can you help me? Please help me, nobody's helping me. The priest then wrote out a prayer on a piece of paper, dropped it down to the man in the hole, and walked off. Later, another gentleman came by, a friend of the man that was in the hole, and he, shout, he shouted, Hey, Jack! Jack, it's me, Bill! Can you help me, Jack? Can you help me? It's me, Bill! And Jack jumps down into the hole down there with Bill. Bill says, Jack, what did you do that for? Now we're both stuck. He said, it's all right, Bill. I've been in this hole before, and I know how to get out of this. My God, I'm here to tell you right now, Brother Bird, sit there and encouraged us this morning in a mind of unity, working together to reach this world. There's people in this world dying right now. There's somebody in this church right now that just wants somebody to reach out to them and let them know God can save you. God can cleanse you. God can, everybody stand with me. God can set you free. God can heal you. God can deliver you. And they're looking for somebody who's been in the hole. They're looking for somebody that's been down in the gully grubs, that was down, bound up in a well, that was bound up in sin, but they were down there and they found the way out. They found that Jesus was the way to get out of that hole. And I'm here to encourage somebody right now that you ain't got to leave the same way you came. Lift your hands to him right now. All oh, the praise and worship that happened at the beginning of this service doesn't just have to be there. Doesn't just have to be in these moments of coming in and going through the motions of a song, but it comes with a song of liberation. Like I said, it's time for you to begin to sing your songs of liberation. As they were singing earlier, throne room, I began to see something was being loosed in the atmosphere. And I told her, I said, I need you to play that again because I saw something happening. When they got to that verse, they said, Oh, the veil is torn. That door swings wide. His glory as... This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.